So good morning, guys. And it is a great privilege to be speaking to you this morning. And actually, do you know what makes it even better? We're in December, so we can talk about Christmas. So now I know this isn't a children's talk, right? But put your hand up. Duncan is. What are you? Excited about Christmas. Ray, brilliant. So that's right. Now, Salmon and Taryn, it's your first Christmas as a married couple this year, isn't it? That's exciting. Is that true for you, Jebson and Diana, or is it your second year? Second. And of course, Lucy, it's her first Christmas ever. Whoa. Now, I remember last year, right? And maybe this will be a repeat of last year. But when Boris cancelled Christmas last year, I was well cheesed off because I had loads of turkey and nobody came round to eat it. And poof, all my expectations were broken in my expectation of what Christmas would be. And I'm guessing that that's probably like a lot of life, isn't it? You know, we have hopes and we have dreams. And sometimes things don't work out the way we're expecting. And sometimes that's disappointing. And sometimes it's better than we ever hoped for. And today, I don't so much want to talk about Christmas, but the one that we should be celebrating at Christmas. Who is that, Maria? Who do we celebrate at Christmas? Sorry, what did you say? Jesus. Brilliant. God, this is the first time you've ever been quiet, Maria. Jesus. We're celebrating Jesus. Fantastic. So, you know, sometimes we look at Jesus, don't we? And we expect him to act in a particular way. We want him to answer our prayers according to our specific desires. Or, you know, we think he should shape our lives as we have mapped them out. And when that doesn't happen, we can end up disappointed with him. And, of course, that has happened throughout history, hasn't it? The Jews were, and they still are, looking for a Messiah because Jesus didn't fit the bill. 2,000 years ago, they were looking for freedom from the Romans. And because of that, they were blinded to the much greater freedom that Jesus offers. The freedom, the salvation, the redemption that only comes through Jesus. And it comes not only to the Jews 2,000 years ago, but it comes to all of us, right? Yeah? And actually not only us, but to the whole of humanity throughout all of time. Equally, if we think about the disciples, they, they sacrificed so much dedicating their lives to following Jesus, didn't they? And yet they were shocked and devastated when he, with his death. They didn't realise that the crucifixion was actually the key that opened the door to salvation. Yeah? And what I'm hoping is that we will discover this morning that as we allow the real Jesus, that's the Jesus of the Bible, rather than the one we have made up in our heads. When we discover him, he will not disappoint, but actually he will exceed all of our explanation, all of our expectations. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to be reading 
the first seven verses. So this is what it says. Right, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle turmoil and every garment rolled in blood will be burnt as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Right, so just to fill you in on a little bit of history, this chapter is thought to have been written in 733 BC. That's about 670 years before the birth of Christ. And the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali that we've just read about in verse 1, they'd just been taken into exile by the Assyrians. The other 10 tribes would actually follow about 10 years later. But interestingly here, Zebulun and Naphtali are being looked down on with contempt. You know, rather than the other 10 tribes going, oh, poor old you, it's rather shame on you for being captured by the enemies. And it's interesting because 670 years later, John writes in John 1:46, he quotes somebody as saying, can anything good come of Nazareth? Now, Nazareth was in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And I just think it's beautiful that what people might scorn, God chose to honour by having his son brought up in that very place. Isn't that cool? That's just a little bonus for you to chew on over lunch. You can talk about it with your friends and your family. But the first thing I actually want us to talk about today, you'll find in verse 2 where it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So this whole passage, it's about the Messiah, Jesus, who at the time of writing, he hadn't yet come yet. So it's looking forward to a future event. And yet, interestingly, Isaiah is writing it as if it's already happened. Listen, the people who walked in darkness have seen or are now living in a great light. Now, bearing in mind that the people of Isaiah's day, they lived in grim times, yeah? There was a potential of death, of sickness, of starvation, of exile, of separation. All of these things, they were real threats in their time. And yet, regardless of circumstance, 
Isaiah is saying to them, as well as to us, right? He's saying that if you choose to, you can still live in the light. If you choose to live with God's guidance rather than stumbling in the dark, you can choose to live with hope, being confident of your ultimate destination. You can choose in this moment, with all of its problems, to live with a supernatural joy. Yeah, Pete? Yeah. So I don't know about you, but I would rather live in that joy than remain in the darkness. I'd rather embrace God's plans for my life, even if they're a million miles away from what I would have hoped for. I'd rather embrace that because living in his life, in his light, sorry, is better than anything that we could dream up. Yeah? So how do we do that? Well, obviously, firstly, we have to accept Jesus as our saviour. And lots of us have amazing stories, don't we, of how God has transformed our lives, as well as, um, as we have chosen, sorry, to follow him. Yeah, but transformation, it doesn't end on the day you give your life to Jesus. To live in the light, we need to remain focused on the light, or as Pete said before, fix our eyes on Jesus constantly. One way of doing this, as Jerry mentioned the other week, is to actively remember the good things that God has done for you. Now, obviously, one way of doing that is reading the Bible. Bible yeah. Sorry, I've got to keep you awake. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> no, I won't, actually. <laughs> there is plenty in here of the good, th good things that God has done, right? And through, you know, the things that God has done through the lives of others. And Tim Keller writes, we have a direct link to the mighty deeds of the past because they were the exploits not of our ancestors, but of God himself. And that God is still with us. So in other words, when we read the Bible, we, you know, we can get inspired by Moses who stood up to Pharaoh, or by David, who faced the, the, the giant Goliath, or by Elijah, for goodness sake, he cried down for fire to come down from heaven, or Paul, who fearlessly and faithfully spread the gospel. You know, and we have a connection with these people from the word of God because their God is our God, and our God does not change. Other ways of staying focused on God. Um, personally, I like to keep a diary as a record of the things that God has said to me personally. And that might be either through circumstance, it could be prophetic words that other people have given me, it might be the thoughts and ideas that God has placed in my mind, and of course through scripture. And when I look back and remember, it encourages me. But also writing a diary, it can be... It can be a great encouragement just to write it. You know, many of you will know that I live with secondary breast cancer for the last five years, and that can be really wearing sometimes. And in fact, the last six months, I've been more aware of my mortality than I usually am. And a few weeks ago, I was feeling particularly low. So I sat down and I wrote my diary. <laughs> and I started by writing out a verse that we had looked at in small group. 
and it directed me in how I should pray. And then I went to write down some of the bad stuff that had been happening and then some of the God moments. And I have to tell you, as my focus shifted on God, literally joy welled up in my soul. My circumstances, they hadn't changed. My problems, they haven't disappeared. But I had shifted back into the light. And that's what we need to constantly do. It's something that each of us need to do. Right, so it's Christmas. And I'm going to stop the childish bit soon, promise, right? But it's Christmas and I have presents. Woo! Patience, boy. Right, so first of all, I've got a book called Remember. It's Somebody else better get ready and beat him. Right, so this is a book by Richard Gamble. And he's a guy who plans to build a monument called the Wall of Answered Prayer. There is near the, it's going to be near the Spaghetti Junction and it's going to be almost five times taller than the Angel of the North. That means it's big, right? And, um, but this book, it gives a biblical explanation as to why remembering all that God has done and why that's important as well as giving lots of uh, stories of answered prayer. And I loved it because as I read it, it motivated me to pray. And when we pray, what are we doing? We're inviting God's light to come into our darkness. And don't we need more of that? Yeah? So, who would like an early Christmas present other than Duncan? Is somebody who's going to run forward. I know. Chidira. I'll sort of meet you halfway. Whoa. But it doesn't end there. I've got another book for you. Oh, no, wait a minute. Sit down, Maria. Are you going to read it, Maria? Oh, I love and I love reading. Brilliant. Okay, so let's have the second book up, Steve. Right, so this is the book that all of you guys have missed because you're not as fast as Maria. It's a book called The Evidence Not Seen, and it's basically a biography of a woman missionary in New Guinea and God's provision for her, particularly when she was stuck in a prisoner, uh, a Japanese prisoner of war camp in World War II. You know, of course, reading Christian biographies is a great way of building faith as we hear about God working in the lives of others. So... Maria, I know you've got lots of books on your bookshelves, but fill your bookshelves with Christian biographies and read them. So getting back to Isaiah, oh gosh, we're running out of time. This is a bit bad. Getting back to Isaiah, the reason he writes about Jesus as if it's already happened is because he believed 100% that it would happen. Basically, whenever God promises something, we can be certain of it too, can't we? Now, Christmas, it's a time of remembering Jesus' first coming, but we should also be, look for, be looking forward in confidence that Jesus is coming again. As Maria said, on that day, every knee will bow. On that day, there will be an end to all tears and sadness, and there will be no more pain in heaven. And we need to look past our current circumstances, guys, and choose to live in that light. So question, 
What's the greatest gift at Christmas? What's the great... Oh, what's that? Whoa, yes, that's right. It's Jesus again is the answer to every Sunday school question. So if we look at verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. So just briefly, Jesus didn't come to earth by accident, did he? Or he didn't come on some sort of sightseeing trip, or just for the fun of it. No, Jesus came as a gift for us. He came expressly to be God with us, to give us fullness of life, to fill us with joy and to pay for the things that we've done wrong so that we can spend eternity with him. And what's more, where it says the government should be on his shoulder, that means that where we feel weighed down, where things have gotten too much for us, Jesus says, I want to carry it on my shoulders. So many of you will know that in October, I ended up in hospital with a high temperature that turned out to be COVID. And Tim rang me in the hospital and he said, you know, I've just spoken to Duncan and I've asked that you guys would pray for me. And my response was, no, I don't want to come home. <laughs> and the reason for that was that, you know, my health issues were just weighing me down so much. I was actually relieved to be surrounded by doctors who were on my case. And it enabled me to lay my burdens down. And it, it was almost like four days in a spa. <laughs> now, that's not to say I didn't appreciate your prayers, guys. I did. I'm really thankful for all your love and support. And yeah, keep sending it my way. That's good. I'm really thankful. But... I believe that God answered that prayer in a different way. God answered it in his own way. And, uh, yeah. But the point of the story, actually, what I want to actually say to you more than that, is that when I got home, I felt God say to me that just as I was able to lay my burdens down when I was surrounded by the doctors, he reminded me that he surrounds me all of the time. And he wants me to lay my burden at his feet. You know, Jesus is God's gift to us. And he is always with us. And as this verse says, one of his roles, if we allow him to, is to carry our burdens. Um, I don't know. We're running out of time, Jerry. I don't know how much you want to... Okay, well, just switch the mic off when you've had enough. So let's just have a quick look. <laughs> let's just have a quick look at some of the names um, that describe Jesus' character. So the first one is Wonderful Counselor. Now, this is not to be confused with a modern-day talking therapist. You know, such things didn't exist in Isaiah's day. Rather, a counselor back then would advise the king of international diplomacy or of war strategy, as well as trying to perceive the will of God. And so uh, we could describe Jesus as a supernatural strategist. He can direct us out of trouble and into the ways that God has prepared for us. You know, and at the beginning, I said that Jesus, he doesn't always live up to our expectations, does he? And actually, Exodus 14 that we looked at uh, reasonably recently, is a prime example of that. So you've got the Israelites. They've escaped from Egypt. 
They're following God and going where God's telling them to go, following the cloud and the fire. And they end up at the Red Sea. It looks like a dead end, doesn't it? With Pharaoh in hot pursuit. But, you know, God is that international strategist. And he worked it in that way because the, the, the miracle of parting the Red Sea, it not only allowed the Israelites to see God's wisdom and God's power, but it also allowed the Egyptians to be swallowed up by the water so that they no longer posed a threat to the Israelites. You know, I know from my own life, nobody dreams of getting cancer, or at least I hope they don't. But reading my diary four months after diagnosis, I wrote, perhaps rather than trying to escape our calamity, we should harness it to bring us closer to God and to glorify him. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek healing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight injustice or try to improve our situation. But we should make sure that we remember to view our circumstances from God's perspective. You know, God does not leave us at dead ends. <laughs> I am not at a dead end, just so that you know. No, we're not, are we? He has not forgotten us, even though sometimes we feel that way. Maybe we choose to ignore him. That happens because we don't want to go his way. But I would argue that when we are disappointed with God, we would be wise to ask him to reveal his plans rather than give up just because it hasn't gone the way we were hoping. So that's a wonderful counsellor. The second one, mighty God. You know, within this name, there's a sense of supreme ruler, isn't there? So you've got princes, you've got kings, you've got emperors, and then way up there somewhere, there's Jesus, the supreme ruler of the universe. And God's authority and his power, it, it simply demands that we should do what he tells us to do. And yet, the word mighty in Hebrew has a sense of hero. So Jesus, with all his grandeur, with all his majesty, all his authority, his rulership and his power, Jesus steps down to our level and he saves us even when we don't deserve it. So for me, that happened one Friday night uh, when I was 14 years old and I gave my life to Jesus and he became my saviour. And it was like in that moment, in that moment, oh, I just always wanted to do that. In that moment... God literally removed some of the things that had bound me. So when I went to school on Monday morning, I didn't care. I wasn't desperate for the approval of others anymore. And instead, I had a new freedom to be myself. And equally, there were things that I'd struggled with, bad habits that I'd struggled with. And again, God broke them. You know, I don't know. Actually, we'll miss that bit. Yeah, maybe we miss that bit too. So yeah, we serve a mighty God. But we need to focus on him. We need to fix our eyes on him. We need to rest in his light and allow him to direct our paths. So the third one is Everlasting Father, and this is currently my favorite. You know, if you struggle with the idea of a good father, you can substitute father for shepherd. So you can reflect on Jesus being your guide, your teacher, your protector, your guardian, your provider. But then when you add the idea of everlasting, 
for me, that actually adds such a spin. It's just worth meditating on, actually, because I think often we think of parents as being there when we need, her, when we need them, don't we? Uh, they feed us and they clothe us when we're young, and when we grow up, we become independent and move away. But the idea here, here is of an everlasting father, and it suggests that when we die, Jesus isn't going to simply deposit us in heaven and go on to the next needy case. No, God is our everlasting father. He will never desert us. He simply, he, he, you know, he doesn't hang out with us because we need him. He has designed us to have an eternal love relationship with him. You know, there have been many times in my life when I've lost sight of God. Uh, I remember specifically in my early 20s being disappointed with God. And there were a number of things that went wrong for me at that time. And even though I was really angry and really frustrated, I accepted the Bible's teaching that God never changes and he is always good. If there's two things you remember, he never changes and he is always good. And so for me, I decided that I would continue to go to church on a weekly basis, even though often I'd go to church and walk out within 10 minutes because I was so angry. You know, and to this day, I don't know why those things happened. But over time, spending time in the presence of Jesus, his light brought me healing. God's light is here and it will continue to be there for us throughout eternity. So finally, the, the Prince of Peace. Jesus offers peace with God as well as peace with ourselves and our circumstances. Only he can release us from those things that hold us captive. Only he can save us from the things that threaten us. But I think that sometimes we end up in denial, or is it just me? You know, sometimes if we don't recognise our need of God and his lordship in our lives, it can become a barrier between us and our maker and we'll not benefit from the light that I've been talking about. Sometimes we also live in, live in denial of the past. I talked earlier about transformation being an ongoing process. And, um, you know, sometimes... We've made wrong choices in the past and we need to take responsibility for it. We need to stop blaming others for the things that actually we did wrong. And uh, when we don't do that, it's like there's always a shadow over us because we haven't had those things sorted out. And I'm not talking about digging up and trying to find things that you did wrong. But if God is shedding light on it, it's time to, to do business with him on that. And sometimes we also have denial of the circumstances of right now and we can feel that if we admit that things aren't going brilliantly, then maybe we're denying God's power. It's not uncommon, I find, for people to say to me, or actually I remember once I was in a prayer meeting and people were praying for my back because it was painful at the time. And they prayed and they said, oh, by his stripes you are healed. And I went, oh, that's funny because my back still really hurts. And that's not a clever thing, really, actually. And what I want to say is that that verse, by his stripes are we are healed, is very similar to the one about the people who, live in, who have lived in darkness are now in the light. It's like, by his stripes I'm healed. It means in eternity there will be no more tears and sadness. It's like Isaiah 
who wrote both verses, is speaking uh, with certainty that that day will come. That's not to say we don't chase after healing now. We should do. But we don't deny reality because that helps nobody. Um, yeah. So just to finish, the last verse of this passage is, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, our relationship with God, it shouldn't be passive. I've spoken a lot this morning about choosing to make right choices. And we can choose, for example, to focus on God. And we need, we need to choose not to live in denial of reality. And when we choose to walk in the light and to be guided by him, it enables God to act as we see fit. So we need to make a, God, a choice and God does his thing. His ways may not be as we imagine, but the light will with time reveal that his ways are always best. You know, whatever life is dealing you at this moment, however disappointed or afraid or frustrated you may be, when we live in God's light, it will always be a happy ever after story. We need to focus on God so we can join those of this passage who say, the people who walked in darkness have seen and are living in a great light. So we need to pray. I don't know how you want to do it. We've got very little time. Bryn, maybe you want to come up um, with Andy. And I just think that we need to be active in the way we respond this morning. We need to make a choice. So I just want you to sit quietly, first of all, and just listen. What is God saying to you? I might have been speaking rubbish for the next half hour, and God might have been speaking something totally different to you this morning, and that's fine. But how does God want you to respond? What is God dropping into your mind? What is God saying? You might want to close your eyes. You might want to put out your hands. I guess the first thing might be better habits. God is calling us to live in his light. And we need to do that on a daily basis. Is that something that you need to be talking to God about? Because the rush and the busyness of life squeezes him out. And we often find that at the end of the week, we're parched and back in the darkness when actually we should have been walking in the light every day. If that's something that you need to be doing and saying, yeah, God, I need to make business with you. I'm going to encourage you to stand, not to embarrass you. Nobody's particularly interested in how you respond. But just because we want to be serious with God, don't we? And if God's saying, do something, standing up is only a tiny step compared with what perhaps he's asking you to do. And God says, I want you to live in freedom, freedom in my light. So if God is saying something to you, some way that you need to respond this morning, then feel free or I would encourage you to stand up and say, yeah, God, I'm glad that you don't want to put me down. You're not condemning me. You just want me to live in your light. Mm. Yeah, so just to let you know, Dola, I'm standing this morning because I want to make that choice. And, yeah, I choose 
to walk in your light, Jesus. Sometimes it's easier to say it than actually do it, but uh, I want to thank you, Dola, for what you've preached this morning. I just, I just encourage you. Dola speaks with great authority, and she speaks truth. And I just encourage you, just to, there'll be something, I'm sure there'll be something in what she said this morning that's for each and every one of us. So, uh, you know, my eyes are shut. I don't care who's standing, but I'm standing. I just encourage you, if you want to stand, uh, to say, Lord, I want more of your light in my life. I want to make those choices. I want to, yeah, I want you to reveal more truth. Uh, so I can, yeah, get hold of that fact that you're an everlasting God. And those, those promises that you make are not, are not there to frustrate us, Jesus, because they're true. And we say this morning, those promises are true. And actually more it's about understanding that it's for eternity. It's not just for now or tomorrow or next week. It's, it's a promise for eternity. Jesus. I pray for anybody that's standing in this room. My eyes are shut. I don't know who you are, if anybody's standing. But Lord, we just say, Lord, would you come by your Holy Spirit and let this be a moment in time, Father, when we just ask you, by your mercy, to come and reveal more of your light in our lives. We want to be people who walk in light. Uh, I pray for anybody that's struggling Mm. this morning. And we want to thank you, Dora. We want to thank you for Dora just to be honest about, you know, her struggles. And we, we, we want to be people that are honest with each other this morning. And if there's someone that's struggling out there, we just pray, Holy Spirit, come and minister more of your light in their lives. Father God. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lord, I... Lord, as we stand here this morning, Lord, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And Father God, I just want to pray for everybody in this room who has responded to you. Father God, as, as we make that step, as we stand up, as we, as we make choices about how we're going to live moving forward, as we choose them, as we say, Lord, we want to live in your light. We want your light to be shining in us every day. We want it to be shining in us so that we have that unspeakable joy, that we have that joy that is beyond human comprehension. And Father God, we, we just want you. We want more of you and we want you in our lives and we want you to be shining out of our lives to other people too. Lord, and I don't know what these people have specifically asked of you or what you are asking of them, but Father God, I want to thank you that you go with us. You go with us in each and every one of our circumstances. You are surrounding us in a way that nothing else is able to. You know, and I know for me in the hospital, the doctors, they could do so much, but you are able to do everything that we need. And I thank you that you are here and you are surrounding us. Yeah, so Father, come. Father, come. Amen.